A warm welcome to all of you fellow people, individuals who are interested in psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic psychotherapy, not to mention philosophy and politics. Um, this is the introduction to my uh, psychoanalytic set of lectures or podcasts on psychoanalysis, I should say. And I want to begin by noting how I've never particularly liked that word, psychoanalysis. Freud first used it in 1896 or 1897 in a letter to his physician and friend Wilhelm uh, Weiss, uh, where uh, to, to announce what was going to be a field of psychotherapy and a field of study. Um, what I've never liked about it is the idea uh, that it creates a noun out of a verb-like phenomenon. It uh, creates this thing, psychoanalysis, which is really about the psyche, which is an unfolding psychophysiological phenomenon which is embedded in biology, history, culture, sociology, etc. And it also subjects it to analysis, which sounds like a very uh, algorithm-like step one, step two, step three process, which the actual psychoanalytic process is nothing like that. And I'm going to get into that in the first ten lectures, which are going to be about psychoanalysis, what it means, and by the way, it's intended for early practitioners, for individuals who are thinking of seeking that kind of treatment, or really for anyone who might be interested in the field known as psychoanalysis. Um, but I want to begin uh, by introducing you folks to the idea of perspectivism. In my mind, the world is way too complicated a place for any of us to even begin to understand uh, some philosophers have used the word like transcendent, Other use the word, others use the word God. Regardless of what they use, I um, think we should begin with the abject mystery of it all. And the ancient Greeks some 3,000 years ago, and uh, then more like two centuries ago, philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, used the phrase, the word perspectivism, to describe one way of parsing or cutting up the world. So, for example, you're sitting somewhere or standing, listening to me right at this moment, and uh, we could look at that from the perspective of your ears, and then the nervous system picking up the signals from your hair cells, sending the signals to your brain, we could look at the process from a purely neurophysiological perspective. We could also look at it from the perspective of culture. What does it mean in this day and age there is such a thing as a podcast or a lecture and you're sitting or standing listening to a guy that might be a total stranger to you, namely me? Uh, um, sociological perspective would be many people could not afford to even consider psychoanalysis as a field of exploration of understanding uh, because they're too busy uh, trying to make $5 a week, say, in Somalia. So I uh, use that idea of perspectivism as one way to cut up the amazing complexity of the world. And all it means is just the word that it says, a perspective, an angle, 
a viewpoint. If you're in the wilderness, you could use perspectivism to focus on what you hear for a period of time, and then maybe close your ears with your hands and focus on what you see or what you smell. Same idea and perspectivism applies to my use of psychoanalysis as a field of study originally coined by Sigmund Freud, way changed and altered and evolved uh, by many, many theorists since uh, that time, and I will be talking about that in the 10 lectures. So basically, I'm going to primarily be using it to talk about how it works clinically, at least in the first 10 lectures, but then I will be talking about it politically in the way of a brief uh, interview, and this does sort of nail me in time right now, but we have a presidency uh, of the, in the United States uh, that is, uh, the office is inhabited by an individual named Donald Trump, who, in my view and many other views, people's views, has a remarkable propensity to really show what's called an Oedipal complex, namely he's competing with people that came before him, specifically Barack Obama. In fact, it often seems like his policy is of a highly competitive, undoing nature, as if the motivation is simply to undo whatever Barack Obama did, rather than really bring a lot of thought and sense to, well, what's best for the environment, how to best tax uh, the American population, um, how to place controls upon more or less American corporations. Um, so that's just a quick gander of how it could be applied to politics. And um, contemporary thinkers like Robert Stolero believe, like I do, that in many ways psychoanalysis is a form of applied uh, philosophy. Uh, patients come in, it's really not about treating a condition, which is something I've never liked about the word psychotherapy, which there you have the psyche attached to it, therapy or treatment, implying that there's some kind of uh, illness. Certainly, I, can, I meet with patients that have significant depression or that have been diagnosed as bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, the latter really being the worst type of mental disorder that anyone could possibly have. Um, but whether the person consulting me has a diagnosis of schizophrenia or diabetes or they're in excellent physical health, we're really not talking about the delusions. Well, I need to correct that. We, In the case of a schizophrenic, we may be talking about the delusions. But the function of the work is really to help the person live a more fulfilling, meaningful, and integrated life, whether they have schizophrenia or no brain illness whatsoever. Uh, so uh, some people have said, the psychoanalytic tradition is a modern, kind of a Western, uh, secular uh, approach. I wouldn't want to go that far. I meant a secular spiritual approach. I don't think I would want to go along with that. It kind of overlaps with spirituality. I suppose some individuals might consult psychoanalysts for that reason. But it's really about living a more effective, integrated life because one of the things that has made the field endlessly fascinating to me is the fact that it is, we are hopelessly embedded in all of those things I mentioned earlier in history, in culture, in our sociological status, in our ethnic backgrounds, um, 
it's it's so remarkable. There's a uh, French historian who died in 1984 by the name of Michel Foucault, who wrote a lot about uh, history in kind of a philosophical way. He had this cool idea. He called them epistemes, uh, from the word epistemology, uh, meaning uh, the philosophy or study of knowledge. Because um, Foucault thought that you, if you want to understand how people lived in, say, 1870, you have to try to encompass their entire world, entire world view of that era, which is almost impossible to do. You're just making successive approximations if you try to do so. And I bring that up in terms of talking about psychoanalysis in the present day, because we live in a specific era, a specific episteme, where things like texting, email, the fact that you're able to listen right now to this podcast or lecture is a part of the huge technological influence of our culture that uh, basically dominates our culture, the so-called information age uh, that affects the way we live, the way we love, the way our relationships unfold, the way we uh, work. Imagine the whole I idea of, um, of an IT department just simply did not exist 25 years ago. Um, and now there's billions of dollars of companies and hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people working in that field. So psychoanalysis has to encompass all of these things. And I'm not going to just do a podcast lecture that has no kind of structure to it. And since that's what I do for a living and have been for 40 years, uh, that is what this set of podcasts will be about. Now, I purposefully didn't want to include the part about me early on, lest readers be Board, which I would completely understand, but I want to transition now to talking a little bit about me and uh, how I came to want to do this podcast slash set of lectures. This year, 2019, does mark my 40th year of practice as a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst. Um, I am kind of exaggerating a bit in that it was 1979 that I did my first internship work. So that was before I had any kind of formal mental health license. But nonetheless, I was probably doing 10 or 15 hours a week then. Now I do 30 hours a week. At my height, I was doing 40. Uh, my practice has consistently consisted of around half uh, psychoanalytic psychotherapy, as it is called, and about half couples and family counseling. Um, I earned two PhDs. The first one was in counseling psychology from USC, uh, which is basically the same idea as clinical psychology or applying psychological principles to helping people live more effective lives, experience less anxiety and depression and other types of pain. Um, the second PhD, which was 10 years later, was in psychoanalysis. And that is uh, where I learned a lot of what I'm going to be presenting in the next set, first set of 10 lectures. Um, but I've also done a ton of reading since then. I've taught nationally and internationally, um, and uh, I'm active at a local nonprofit in Pasadena that trains postdoctoral students in psychoanalysis and psychoanalytic therapy. Quick side point right here. Um, so psychoanalysis does mean a lot of times people lying on a couch and coming in three or four times a week for sessions. I've done that occasionally since my training when I did it more active. 
I think the future of psychoanalysis, which is what many other people think as well, is really going to be in what's called psychoanalytic psychotherapy, and that is applying psychoanalytic principles, which again, I will be speaking a lot in detail, uh, to people in less frequent sessions, once a week, twice a week. Um, in my view, even if I'm seeing someone once a month, which I would be prone not to do, I'm still applying basic psychoanalytic principles, um, but uh, that is what the field is uh, about. Um, so I've done a lot of teaching, as I mentioned, I've done a lot of reading, and I've had a ton of life experience, including two open-heart surgeries for endocarditis. So I hope that is my, uh, will be my second and my last. And why do these podcasts? Well, a couple of reasons. A number of friends and even some relatives have said, you know, you have a lot of knowledge by now. Um, uh, it'd be great for you to put these down in a way that folks could listen to while they're at the gym or driving in their car. I thought that would be cool. I also write a blog. So this will probably be available on the website called uh, psychoanalyzinglife.com, just like it sounds, psychoanalyzing life. I'm hoping to be of help to people that are interested in seeking these kind of services or just like the way I think um, and uh, hopefully help people that are interested in seeking psychoanalytic help of some type. And finally, I get something out of it myself, which is basically a way to organize my own thinking and my own experience. Uh, I've been married almost four decades now, have two lovely children, one daughters, one grandchild, just a few months ago. Um, so, uh, and I believe I, I bring a very personal style to the work. I want to bring the same style to these podcasts. So thank you so much for your interest. I'm going to bring this introductory podcast to a close now and hope that you will find uh, initial ideas sufficiently intriguing to proceed to the first set of 10 lectures. Thank you so much and uh, look forward to meeting you again in this way of meeting.